How are you today? Yeah? Good. One person. Um, my name's Paul, pastor here. Um, do a lot of the teaching. There are lots of people with pastoring gifts who do the caregiving. And uh, it's a privilege to be here with all of you today. Uh, we are going to dismiss our children uh, in just a moment. And I'm reminded of, uh, we're going through Luke's gospel here uh, for quite some time. But when we get to Luke 18, we'll see that Jesus, uh, teaching about our attitudes and about humility, then um, has a time when parents want to bring their kids to Jesus. And his followers try to stop the parents from doing that. And Jesus says, no, 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 let the kids come here. And he says, it's... There's important um, things at play here. And he blesses the children. The parents want Jesus to bless their children. So what we want to do before our kids go out is just, is just bless them. But um, what, he, what he does is he gives a word, I think, for all of us. And for parents, those of you who have children that are still under your care, I think Jesus is saying, bring your children to Jesus. Bring your children to God. It is really important for you to grasp the importance of that. And for kids, like my little granddaughter here, uh, I think Jesus is saying, God sees you. And he loves you, and he wants you to be around with the rest of us. And for all of us, I think he is saying, listen, if you want to understand the kingdom of God, you need to approach it like a little kid and receive it like a little child with awe and wonder, with smiles and with giggles, and jumping in with both feet in complete trust and dependence. And I think that's a great opportunity to say thank you, Jesus, for blessing children and by so doing blessing us so children you go with that kind of blessing and uh, it is so hard to talk and keep your focus when your granddaughter's going <laughs> so i'm sorry for getting distracted but they are the cutest grandchildren in the world and uh, if you were wondering they're right here so i don't usually single them out like that but um Anyway, you guys sat at the front today, so it's your fault, Carrie and Joel. So, uh, Father, thank you for our children, and thank you for those who work with our children on Sunday morning. And uh, for those that can't be here for all the varied reasons uh, in the craziness in which we live, uh, I pray that your blessing would go from here out to all of them. Amen. So, children, we're going to let you go. Stacy's at the back. You can follow her. There's a bunch of other um, volunteers waiting for our kids to go and to be out there. If you do have children here and uh, you're keeping them and they need to be in the nursery, feel free to use that. I think we've got some people in there helping out. All right. So, <clears throat> I'm going to show you a picture, and it's going to evoke some emotion in you. So, let's look at the picture. Yeah, I just heard somebody say, oh my goodness. So it's either you're like filled with disgust or you're filled with praise. And uh, sometimes we just need to talk about what's happening in the world and not pretend that it's not there. And actually what we're looking at today, I think, speaks to this whole issue about the freedom convoy. Oh, let's just leave that up. We'll just annoy people for a bit with that picture, Gord, and um, we'll just leave that picture up there. Um, People are struggling with feeling like they've lost control of their lives. And relax, I'm not going to give a commentary on what I think is appropriate or not. And maybe you want me to. Um, too bad. But I think people are wrestling with wanting to take back control of their lives and wrestling with the question of power. Who has power? Who has the power to tell you what you can and can't do? 
Is it you? Is it the police? Is it the government? And it kind of feels like for a lot of people, if, I think it feels like life is getting out of control. And there's a sense of, I want to have back a sense of control and a sense of power in my own life. And of course, that kind of begs the question, how much power and control do you have over your life to begin with? And it might be worth considering that. And then it might be worth also considering the question, what even is power and control? And I think today, as we look at the temptation of Jesus, something that he went through, I think there might be a word here for us in processing not just something going on in Ottawa or the Ambassador Bridge in Windsor, but much bigger than that. And it's your relationship with God and how you navigate this world and how you see things like power and like control. And if I asked you the question, how much power do you wield? I suspect quite a few of you would say, well, I don't really have any power. In fact, I'd like a little bit more of it. And some of you would say, well, I have some, but you can never have enough. And then some of you would say, well, I actually have quite a bit of power and control in my scenario, and and I'm aware of how to use it. And I I think we're going to look at the temptation of Jesus and see some connections here to the temptation that we have as individuals and as communities and as congregations around this idea of power and control. So I want to read for you from Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. So if you remember from last week, we did the genealogy of Jesus. But if you took that genealogy out, you can go from the end of, from chapter 3, verse 22, and then just jump into chapter 4, verse 1. So this is what Luke writes. Jesus, who was full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. And he ate nothing at that time, and he became very hungry. And so the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaf of bread. And Jesus said, no. The scriptures say people don't live on bread alone. So the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will just worship me. And Jesus replied, well, the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, because the scriptures say, or jump off, because the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you and they will hold you up with their hands and you won't even hurt your foot or stub your toe. And Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not put the Lord your God to the test. So when the devil finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. So there's kind of three temptation scenarios that are going on here. And the devil, um, and you can read these in Matthew. In Matthew, these two, two and three are flipped. And in Mark, Mark talks about the temptation of Jesus, but he just mentions it briefly. He doesn't go into a whole bunch of detail. But here's the three temptations. Turn the stones to bread. I'll give you all these kingdoms if you just worship me. And jump. 
And so as we look at these, I want to do two things today. I want to say, let's look at these as a word for you. How does the temptation of Jesus speak into your life? And then I want to zoom back out and say, how does the temptations of Jesus actually speak to the church? And so we're going to go walk through these kind of twice, just for uh, repetitive emphasis, and it'll make the sermon twice as long. So you've got nothing better to do. It's not like there's anything else going on today. So we can be here until this evening at 6 o'clock, right? And some of you have no idea what I just referenced, but that's okay. Let's talk about a few things about these temptations. Uh, If you look at verse 1, it says Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. And it was the Holy Spirit that led Jesus into the wilderness. And I think there's a really important uh, point that, that might be worth taking note of. And it's that the Holy Spirit was very much involved in this process. And it it leads to a challenging question. If Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, and it's the Holy Spirit that led him into the wilderness, and it's in the wilderness that he gets his temptation, does that mean that when people are surrendered and obedient to the Holy Spirit, that that leads to temptation in our lives and testing and trials? And that brings up a question of what we call theodicy. You know, where is God in the midst of evil? And what I find fascinating is that Luke doesn't answer that question. I'm sure he's aware of the questions it raises, but he's not concerned about you getting fixated on that. What Luke is concerned about is that we see that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into this wilderness experience where temptation would happen and that Jesus needed to go through that experience. And I'm going to give you a hint here. Uh, that I'm not going to talk about in the sermon, but there's huge parallels here in the temptation of Jesus and the temptation that happens in the garden with Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. And so in the notes, um, not a video, but there's just some extra notes if you want to explore that, um, not only with Adam and Eve, but there's similarities with the temptation of Israel in the wilderness, the story of Israel in the wilderness. And so in the sermon notes online, you can find those and do some extra study if you want. But he's filled with the Holy Spirit. But it is not the Spirit of God. It is not God who does the tempting. It is one referred to as the devil. Or sometimes in Scripture he's called the Satan. Or the accuser is another way of referencing him. And that brings up this wonderful uh, dynamic about, about how temptation happens. And again, I think the biblical writers, um, like James, who was a leader in the early church in Jerusalem, who wrote a letter with his name attached to it, said, you know, when you're tempted, don't say God's tempting me. It's not God who's tempting you. It's some of the stuff within you and this power of an evil influence at work in this world. Um, That is all kind of wrapped up part and parcel of how this happens. But I, I think some of these things are just good to note. He's led by the Spirit into the wilderness because it needed to happen, but it's not the Spirit of God who does the tempting. And yet Jesus says when we pray, his followers said, teach us to pray, and Jesus said one of the things you need to pray about is that you're not led into temptation, or to put it in the active voice, God, don't lead us into temptation. And yet he was filled with the Spirit of God. How long was he tempted? You online, how long was he tempted? 
40 days. 40 is this really uh, cool number that you come across in the scriptures again and again. Uh, 40 often has to do with this idea of testing, of being tried. So let's go all the way back, do a little walk through history. There's a guy who built a big boat and he put all the animals in it and his name was Noah. And how long, how many days and nights did it rain? You knew the answer to that question. I led you into the right answer for that question. Okay, how about the nation of Israel? You can read about them in, uh, uh, through Exodus, through to Deuteronomy in, in the Torah. And they wandered around in the wilderness for how long? 40 years. They were tested and they were tried. Moses, who was leading Israel and who... Just if there's somebody that I understand uh, uh, in leading in difficult times, I have a whole new appreciation for Moses now over the past two years, right? Um, and I'll play my hand. Um, Moses had lots of people grumbling about his leadership. Well, you'll never guess what has happened about leadership here over the last two years. Yeah, I know. It's shocking. And Moses had to, to go up and spend time with God. How long do you think he spent on the mountain? 40 days. Yeah, 40 years. Uh, 40 lifetimes. Like, but 40 days. So this idea about 40 is the idea of testing and of being tried. And, and Jesus needed to go through this experience. So I want to talk a little bit about, about um, just, I think, a, a word for, for you. If we, if we took these temptations and we said okay what what is in this for you let's look at this first one the devil says to jesus if you are the son of god tell this stone to become a loaf of bread and you think okay well he's hungry he hasn't eaten for 40 days Interesting, in the garden when Adam and Eve are tempted, they can eat all the time, but they're told to eat. And here Jesus is famished, and the devil is saying, listen, you're hungry, why don't you just do what you know you can do? If you are the Son of God, there's a question about identity here. If you are the Son of God, do what you know you can do. Make some bread. When you read the stories of Jesus, what's really curious is that I'm sure at this point Jesus is already aware of what he can do because he is filled with the Spirit of God. Don't let go of that very first phrase in Luke 4.1. Filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit. And the devil says, if you are the Son of God, then make some bread for yourself. Jesus could make bread when he needed to. Because a few chapters later... You're going to read about Jesus taking a little chunk of bread and feeding over 5,000 people with it. Jesus knows how to make bread. The question is, will he be obedient to what the Spirit has been telling him to do? And at this point, the Spirit is saying, you need to fast. And you need to trust God. Because you have to go through this experience of coming into an extreme awareness of your identity as the Son of God. And Jesus wrestles with that temptation of trusting God in both who he is and also in actually trusting God with the timing of all of this. 
Jesus could make bread anytime he wanted. In fact, all the stuff that he's looking at, the stones, the bread, as a son of God, it all belongs to him anyway. It's all his. And I think of Luke 15, um, very famous story that many of you are familiar with, the prodigal son, or actually another way of looking at it is the prodigal father. And if you're familiar with the story, this, the, the one son takes dad's inheritance, runs off, brings shame upon the family, blows everything on wild living, comes home, and the father welcomes him back into the family and forgives him, and it's all crazy. And the other son, the good son, the oldest one, of course, um, it was the younger son that obviously ran off, and then there was the, the, the older one that stayed home to be faithful. And, of course, the middle child, well, they don't, Luke doesn't mention him because nobody remembers the middle child, right? But it's the older son that won't come in and celebrate. And the father comes out to the older son and he says to him, the older son's mad, like, oh, you never threw a party for me and I've been with you all these years. And the, and the father says, listen, everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours and you can use it whenever you want. And I think of Jesus' relationship as a son of God to his father. Everything that you want and need is yours. But it's a matter of Jesus being obedient to what the Spirit was asking him to do. And I, and I just wonder about temptations around identity and trusting God with what he's provided for us in the moment. And then the devil takes him to another place. It says it took him up high. Could be a mountain, could be up in the sky, we don't know. And he, and he says to Jesus, I'll give you the glory of these kingdoms and the authority over them. Because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will just bow down and worship me. So here's the devil showing Jesus all the kingdoms in a moment of time. And he says, these are all mine. You can have it all. You can have all the authority, all the power, all the control that you want. All you need to do is worship me. Anytime that you take your worship off of God and you put it onto something else, the scripture, the biblical writers have a name for that. They call it idolatry. And here's the devil saying, you know what? I don't know why God's making you wait, but I'm not sure he knows what he's doing. You can have it all now if you'll just, if you'll just follow me instead. You can have all the power you want, all the control you want. You just need to follow me. There's a curious thing about idolatry that you learn about in the scriptures. And it's that idols are really good at lying to us. And they make it sound so appealing and so enticing. Think back to Adam and Eve in the garden. What did the serpent say to them? They were told, don't eat of this one tree. If you eat of it, you'll die. And the serpent comes along and he says, you won't die. If you eat it, you will be like God. You will get everything you want. And you can have it now. Jump ahead to Jesus in the wilderness. And the same temptation is there. You can have everything you want. And you can have it now. Just stop listening to what God is calling you to. 
and follow me instead. See, idols have this wonderful ability of promising so much in return for so much. And then you start to follow them and you find out over time that they don't really give what they said they would, but they sure expect a lot more than they asked in the beginning. Now, we don't need some little figure stuck on our shelf. In Western culture, we have gotten so much better at idolatry than to have some little chunk of wood or ceramic thing uh, and some incense stuck on a shelf. We, we can take just about anything and turn it into an idol. Our job, our home, our prestige, our status in society, a relationship with someone, the wealth that we keep pursuing. And every one of those idols say, you can have what you want now if you just follow me. And I don't think the temptation that Jesus is experiencing is, is too far off anything that you might be experiencing today. But it's a question of, again, being led by the Spirit and staying true to being led by the Spirit and trusting God. So let's look at the next one. Temptation three. If you are the Son of God, jump! Jump! Where is he going with this? Again, we've got this idea about identity. If you are the Son of God, did you catch that in the first temptation? If you are the Son of God, take what is already yours. If you are the Son of God, jump. And, of course, Jesus says we don't need to be putting God to the test. But there's this question here around trusting God in who he has created us to be. I'm not saying or intimating that God has created Jesus, but Jesus still has to wrestle with, if you are the Son of God, jump. And you know the last verse? Did you catch that last verse that the devil, after Jesus resisted him three times, the devil waited till another opportunity to tempt him? Did you catch that? Jesus um, won this time in these three temptations. That wasn't the end of it. Throughout his life, the devil would revisit him. Do you remember? Uh, maybe you don't, but there's another example where Peter's trying to prevent Jesus from going to the cross. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. Recognizing that temptation. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, there's a bunch of people who are down on the ground looking at him. And they say to him in, in his hearing, if he is the son of God, let him come down from the cross and save himself. It's this temptation around identity. Will Jesus accept who God has called him to be? There's a man named Howard Thurman. Uh, I think he's gone now, but uh, he was um, uh, a wonderful scholar, and he wrote a book called Jesus and the Disinherited. And it's such a great book, um, particularly around uh, the gospel for, for race relations. And, and for those, and, and I just love his premise is that so often in the church, the good news has very little to say for those who have their backs against the wall. And it's, I would just encourage you to read it. But this is what he says. When you let another person determine the quality of your inner life, you give them the keys to your identity. And I think there's this huge struggle for Jesus to trust the Spirit of God leading him into the full awareness of who he is as the Son of God. And I just wonder what that has to say for us in our own identity. So those are some words for you. Oh, by the way, I want to make one other point. I grew up 
learning, you know, one of the powerful things about this whole temptation story of Jesus is that he quotes scripture to repel the devil. And, and I've realized as, a, as an adult that I think we have to be really careful with that. Because when we throw around things like, well, Jesus quoted scripture and the devil went away, um, what we've done is we've turned this into a charm book. Just say the magical incantations of scripture and you won't have any problem with temptation. Um, and I think what we've missed is going back to verse 1, that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's a huge part of his ability to resist what the devil was leading him to. Because quoting scripture, if quoting scripture is the way to ward off evil, you know, it kind of sounds like other cultures that use the evil eye to ward off evil. We don't have an evil eye. We just keep a Bible in the house somewhere. And I'm not trying to downplay scripture because Jesus does quote scripture, but he does it in the power of the Holy Spirit. But if it's just quoting scripture that's, good to keep the devil away well the devil's quoting scripture too so i'm not sure how you reconcile that other than pay attention to verse one that he's full of the holy spirit so let's talk about um, temptation in the church that's a word for you as individuals but let's just talk about the church um, economic power turn these stones to bread let's go back to temptation one if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become a loaf of bread. There's this awareness of economic injustice in our world. And the temptation that the church has always struggled with is how we use our own economy to speak into this world and to, to address economic injustice. Jesus could make bread. In fact, he does make bread. And each one of the, the gospel writers tell the story of Jesus feeding 5,000 people. But in John, he feeds 5,000 people. In John chapter 6, and I think it's around verse 15 maybe, that um, we read that Jesus actually snuck away from the crowd because they were forcefully trying to make him king. And there's this awareness of an improper use of, of economy to coerce people and to force them into things or to look for prestige through economic um, one-upmanship. And I've seen churches arguing over who has the right to feed poor people in the community as if somehow they belong to us. And I think there's a word here for us to pay attention to, to be aware of how we use um, wealth to leverage our position in society to regain some kind of power and control that we've lost over the decades. But I also think there's a word here for us. Jesus does feed people. He doesn't make bread here, but he does feed people. And I think there's a word for us as a congregation to be aware of how we advocate against economic injustice and not just let it go. But to do that in the power of the Holy Spirit for us as a community. Okay? Let's look at temptation number two. I will give you the glory of all these kingdoms and authority over them because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you worship me. Can we just note something here? This is a word about political power, which I think of all the temptations we're looking at today, this one speaks to what we're watching on the news right now happening in our country and unraveling. And it's been fascinating. I'm on Facebook. I rarely post on Facebook. 
Um, I just feel like I don't have much to say, and I don't want to tell you about my supper. Um, but I read, and to see so many uh, Christian people um, making posts and comments on one side or the other of this uh, fascinates me. Political authority, political power. I find it curious what the devil says to Jesus here. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them. All the kingdoms of the world he has shown to Jesus in a moment. And he says, I will give you the power and authority over them because they are mine. Do you catch what's happening there? The political systems that we think are so amazing are still under the power of an enemy. And I don't think there's a, there's a commentary here about, um, about every government figurehead is controlled by the devil. Or every economic you know, CEO or every bank manager or every educational institution person is controlled by the devil. Pick your kingdom or authority. But I do think there's an awareness that there is an evil at work in this world that influences all these powers, all these authorities, and all these kingdoms. And so often, uh, our temptation as Christians is we want to hitch our wagon to that train and assume that somehow that's going to save the world. And yet the devil is saying, these are, these are all mine. And Jesus is, is pushing back. And I think there's, there's a danger here for the church not that we ignore politics, but that we be fully aware of which kingdom we belong to and which kingdom we spend our time getting animated about and which kingdom we want to fully invest our time and our money and our resources and our passions and our blood, sweat, and tears if we are fully aligned with what Jesus is calling us to. That's why he said things like, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be taken care of. That's why he said to Pilate, you know, you think I'm a king. I'm not the king of this world. If I were, my people would fight for me in this world. But they've got a different fight to take on. And there's something powerful here that's going on. I love what Justo Gonzalez says. Listen to this quote. When Luke and the other evangelists claim that the devil has the power to grant all the kingdoms of the earth, they are simply acknowledging what we can see by reading the newspapers. And I wonder how caught up you get into this stuff. And, and I would honestly and genuinely ask the question, is it worth it? Or is it time for us to let the Holy Spirit lead us into a full embrace of the kingdom of God and fully surrendered lives to Jesus as Lord? And then to have fun being passionate about how we live out being kingdom citizens. Okay, one more thing. Third temptation. 
If you are the son of God, jump, jump. Where was he when he was told to jump? He was at the temple. He was at the epicenter of religious power in his world. And I think we, we got to pay attention to this, about the use and abuse of religious power. And Jesus has to resist an abuse of religious power to prove who he is. And I think it's a great word for the church for us to resist the use and abuse of religious power. Anytime we create systems that communicate to people, we're on the inside and you are on the outside. We are restricting people's access to God. And the scary thing is, a lot of what we do can very quickly become a bounded kind of system that, that identifies very quickly who's in and who's out. And the focus becomes the boundary line instead of the one in the center of it all. And that's what religious power does. And Jesus shows us, uh, as you read through his life, for example... The disciples are arguing about power and who should have power. And Jesus says, well, actually, if you want to talk about power and who's right and who, who should be first, it's the ones who allow themselves to be last. If you want to be great, become a slave and serve others. Because even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve the Son of Man didn't come to take power, but to give power away. For decades, since the 1950s, longer than that, but mostly since the 1950s, the church has been losing its authority and power in Western society. And we've desperately been clawing our way, trying to hold on to it and gain it back. And I just find myself asking the question, why? Why are we wanting to be like that? Jesus models for us what power is meant to be. And, and here's the thing, if you think you don't have power, I would challenge you to ask that question again and to seriously look at your life. There are parts of your life where you have the ability to control and influence other people in your life, and that's power. And some of you have more of it than others. And Jesus says, if you want to use prop power properly, use it to be given away, to flourish other people. Power is always meant, according to Jesus, to be used to come under people and lift them up, never to be held over people to control them. And you see it modeled in his life. And I think there's just a word for us as a church in all of this. So I wonder, which temptation do you struggle with the most? You know, uh, trusting in God's provision, turning stone to bread, and waiting on God for his timing in relation to all the kingdoms and idolatry, or of believing how God sees you as his daughter, as his son. 
and living in that identity instead of jumping off the temple. As a church, how have we usurped God in pursuing other means of power and and influence? How have we ignored economic injustice? Or how have we tried to use our own economy to coerce people? How much have we gotten too caught up in the kingdoms of this world instead of focusing on the kingdom of God? And it's just my prayer today that as you look at the temptations of Jesus, that God allows you to be honest with yourself in the temptations with which you struggle and to see in your failure to resist those temptations from time to time, a God who has turned towards you with open arms the moment you want to turn around and come back to him because you've acknowledged your rebellion, your wandering, the Bible calls that sin, your brokenness. You've acknowledged it and you've turned back. The biblical writers use a phrase, they call that repentance. And then what you see is a God who welcomes you with open arms and says, okay, let's carry on. Where we have failed, where Adam and Eve failed, where the nation of Israel failed in resisting temptation, Jesus has become our victorious Savior. And he's resisted. And he makes it possible for us to continue on in this journey. And so... I leave you with that, hoping that the Holy Spirit will uh, have some things to say to you in the midst of that, and just invite you to just dwell on, you know, where, is, where is the Spirit poking you and prodding you? And what do you do in response to that? Let's pray. Jesus, uh, thank you for allowing us to read the story about what you went through. The writer to the Hebrews said, you've been tempted in every way just as we have been, and yet you are without sin. And so you understand the struggles we face as individuals, and you understand the struggles we face as a congregation, you understand the struggles we face as the, the worldwide church. And you call us to yourself and to your model, to your way of life, to your yoke which is easy to bear and not heavy. And so we pray the prayer, part of the prayer that you taught us to pray. And we do so with sincere hearts, knowing that you are a God of mercy and forgiveness. Oh God, lead us not into temptation. But if it must be so, then deliver us from the evil one. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here today. So next week, uh, we're going to stay in, in, uh, in Luke 4 and, uh, and move forward a little bit and look at some of the, the people that Jesus um, has in his life and the statements he makes about power. So we're going to be looking at power part two and how it uh, refers to the people in our lives. So looking forward to that, looking forward to having you here with us. Uh, do spend some time seeing people. You know, we've, um, we've been in, you know, we're on again, we're off again, we're on again, we're off again, we're off again, we're on again. 
And everybody is saying to me, it is so good to see people. So see people today that you don't know. Because I know, I look around the room and i like, some of you don't know some of you. Uh, so spend some time just visiting and getting to know each other. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just giving you an invitation to take advantage of the opportunity. Thanks for being here today. We will see you next week. Some of you will see later this week. And uh, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen.